Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. All right, let's get to the Word of God because that's what we came here for. Mark chapter 16. We are in part 8 of this, and we didn't intend to do this, but... uh, but one Wednesday, it stretched out to two. Here we are in part number eight of Believe and Embrace. And tonight in uh, part number eight, we are talking about the baptism. And uh, we've previously discussed, and I can't catch us up on everything, but we have previously discussed from Mark chapter 16, 15 through 20, we have previously discussed the fact that prophecy in the Word of God uh, has Three distinct fulfillments. When a prophecy is given, we can see that there is a specific fulfillment of that prophecy. Then we can see also there are general fulfillments of that prophecy. And then we can also uh, read about an eternal or an ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy. For example, Isaiah 43. The prophet Isaiah said, uh, in Isaiah 43, about verse 2, he says, uh, When you, you know, uh, fear not, for I am with you. I have called you by my name. Uh, when you pass through the waters, they will not overflow you. And through the flood, you know, uh, and, and through the fire, it says, that you will not even be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you, because I am the Lord your God. Well, that was a prophecy that Isaiah gave. And every word of God is fulfilled. Jesus said every word has to be fulfilled. And so in Isaiah 43, about 100 to 150 years later, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see them walking in the fire. We see them coming out of the fire in Daniel, and not even the smell of smoke was on them. That was a specific fulfillment of the Word of God. And then the general fulfillment, we are in a period where where every Word of God is important to us. And we can believe, and we can trust, and we can pray for every Word of God. Uh, You know, if you happen to go through the fire, uh, go through the flood then you can pray and ask God and stand on the word and trust God for that word to have its manifestation in your life. And then there's an ultimate fulfillment. In eternity, let me tell you, you'll never feel the fire. You have been ultimately saved from the fires, from the lake of fire. That was at one time our destiny, okay? There is an ultimate fulfillment in eternity of every word of God. Jesus took stripes on his back for our healing. That that means that specifically the fulfillments, we saw Jesus healing people. We saw Peter and Paul healing people. You read it all throughout the word of God about healings, specific healings. You know, uh, uh, Peter and John went to pray in Acts the third chapter and, 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 and this lame man was sitting there and, and the lame man uh, was asking for money and an offering and Peter said, silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And Peter reached down and got a hold of him and pulled him up and the Bible says his feet and his ankle bones were Receive strength, and he went leaping and jumping and praising God. Specific fulfillments of God's word. But then also we see general fulfillments. The general fulfillment of God's word 
means that if you get sick, God, his word has power and he wants you. He encourages you to pray and to trust him and to get prayer. Is any sick among you? Let him ask for the elders of the church, you know, James, the fifth chapter, to pray over them. We're encouraged to get prayer when we're sick. We're encouraged. But just because you are born again does not mean that you automatically will never get sick again. Hello? Healing belongs to the children of God. But just because you're a child of God does not mean that you're not going to have, that, that, that you're, going, you know, you're going to live without any trouble. But every trouble we have, every circumstance, every situation, every difficulty that comes to us, God's word contains a promise that even though you know, lightning may not strike you and say this is for you, or it may, specifically, but in a general sense, the word of God has power. There is no word of God that is void of power. And as we trust and as we pray and as we reach out to God, God expects us to believe his word and embrace his word. And he expects us to, to, to live his word. Okay? I don't want to minimize the general word of God because uh, there are two Greek words for the word word. Well, at least two. Okay? One of them is um, um, rhema which means a living word to you. It means like God said to me, God spoke to me. And another one is logos, which means a general word of God. There is a general word of God when you read the word of God. But many times when you're reading through the general word of God, you come across something that all of a sudden says amen on the inside of you. When I'm preaching the word of God, there can be 10 lost people and it just be a general word of God. And all of a sudden for someone, it becomes a rhema word of God. It becomes something like lightning striking. On the inside, they say, yes. It's the same way whenever the word of God goes out. For some people, it just goes right over their head. And for some people, it just goes right through them. But then one word, boom, can hit them and makes it a rhema word of God. That's the way it is with every word of God. But there is an ultimate fulfillment to healing. One day. Ultimately, the word of God will come to pass for every born again Christian. Every person will be healed completely when they step from this life to the next and they will be healed eternally. Okay, that is the living word of God in its ultimate fulfillment. We cannot discount what Jesus was doing when he went to the cross. He was saving us from sin for eternity. Now, thank God we are also saved from the penalties of sin in this life. And we can live free from the dominion of sin if we continue to ask God's forgiveness and continue to clean our lives up. If we continue, God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But just because you're born again does not mean that you're never going to sin again in this life. Right? But it does mean you're never going to sin again in the next life. There is an ultimate fulfillment to every promise of God. Is that generally understood? Because that rings true throughout the word of God. Just because you're born again does not mean you're going to walk without trouble in this world. It does mean you're going to walk without trouble in the next. Just because you're born again does not mean that you're going to be free from tribulation. Jesus said you will have trials, testings, and tribulation in this life. But be of good cheer, he said, because this life is not the end. 
because in that life, you will never have another tear, never have another sorrow, never have another worry, never have another pain. That's where Jesus was pointing to the ultimate fulfillment. And he gave us examples of, 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 of what can happen in the life of a believer when a believer will, will, will trust him and reach out to him and pray for peace and pray for joy and, 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 and pray for, for people to get healed and, and, and pray for relationships to be mended. But one day we will step into a place where you will no longer be upset or angry or, or mad at any other person for the rest of eternity. Can you imagine that, John? Oh, my goodness. I'm having a hard time imagining that I won't ever be frustrated, irritated, aggravated. I don't know how God's going to do that. I don't know how he's going to do it. It's not that I don't believe that he will. I just don't know how he will. I face some things in this life from time to time that God said he would take care of, that he would help me through and help me in. And sometimes I have just as much of a challenge to believe that God's going to help me through that or in that moment in this life. But he said he would. And I trust that he does. And we just keep praying and asking him that his word would be made manifest in our lives. That he would mend our relationships. Well, this is important because it builds on everything we're going to be talking about in Mark chapter 15, 16 and also throughout the rest of the Word of God. Anytime you read the Word, word of God, realize that Jesus was ultimately pointing at eternity. But he also has the rippling effect Every person, for example, that Jesus ever prayed for to be healed died later. This life is temporary. Every blessing and every gift of God in this life is temporary. That's why we don't look at these things which are temporary, but we look to eternity. But we don't neglect this life. Jesus cared so much about us in this life that he gave himself to affect us now, to bring us peace now and joy now, to bring us happiness and, 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 and a direction and wisdom now and in eternity, eternal life, immortal life. Mark chapter 15. Let's pick up here. Mark 15. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is his command as he is uh, uh, about to uh, ascend into the heavens. Go, and we've talked about it. We won't uh, recap it. It's been in the last eight weeks. As you go into all the world, proclaim the good news, not the bad news, not you're on your way to hell, but proclaim the good news. You get to go to heaven. You can go to heaven if you will but trust him and ask him to come into your heart and life. Verse 16, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved. We talked about the importance of not only a, a faith towards God, but also a confession towards others. That we live a public example of what has happened on the inside of us. Just as our faith, our believing is, uh, is a heart that is exercised toward God. Our water baptism is something that we don't see in this nation, but in other nations, when you're water baptized, it is a public profession of your faith in Christ. And that public profession, I don't want to minimize the power of it. It is powerful. He said that, that those who uh, believe and are baptized will be saved, and those who do not, 
believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. We talked about the importance of knowing that believers don't follow signs. Signs follow believers. That we cannot go around following signs because in the last days, the Bible says that, that the false prophets, false Christ, the Antichrist, the, you know, there will be so many signs and wonders. And he said, if you hear of signs and wonders going on in some place here or there, and people tell you that I'm over there or I'm over there or I'm out there, he said this. Jesus said in, 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 in Matthew 24, don't go. Wow. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, listen. Man, let me tell you something. Something is really happening. And I, uh, well, you know, I'll be very, very watchful. Because if it's just signs and wonders, if it's not lifting up the name of Jesus, if it's not seeing people born again, just like what happened in Luke, the 10th chapter, Jesus said he gave them power over serpents and scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. He said, but don't rejoice in that, but rather rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The main thing is that souls are being saved, is that people are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Certainly, we want to see signs and wonders. We need signs and wonders. And God is a signs and wonders God. But the biggest thing, the biggest sign, the biggest wonder is that you could be born again. You could be dead in your sins and on your way to hell. And the next second, you can be saved, forgiven, and on your way to heaven. That's not a bad deal. That's the biggest sign, Jesus said in Luke, the 10th chapter. These signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. We talked about the importance of... of uh, of believing that there are literal devils that we need to make sure that we don't ignore, that we're not just got our head in the sand somewhere here, okay? Uh, devils didn't die. They didn't just go away, okay? They didn't, uh, but they're rather sophisticated in the United States. Come and go with me to some of these other countries, okay? Uh, you can see they're not sophisticated in some of these other countries. And we have the the general word of God given to us that if we believe that demons or devils or spiritual wickedness, darkness, principalities, powers, forces of evil are trying to act against us, our family, our friends, our nation, if you don't think that there's some demons and some darkness in the midst of some of those uh, 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 nations or some, you know, some of the things in our nation, then, then you know, uh, you'll not be able to control it by trying to change people's minds. But the Bible says you can bind that strong man. You can pray and you can absolutely stop the devil from doing what he's doing by your authority in his name. In my name, he says, they shall cast out demons. They shall uh, speak. Let me find out where I'm. In my name, they shall cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Last week, I believe we talked about casting out demons, and we got to the place of speaking in tongues. Let me tell you, I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone preach from this passage as we are doing simply because it's very difficult. I've been studying this for 40 plus years, 38, 39 years now. Uh, I've been a pastor for like 38, 39 years. I've been studying this for a little over 40 years. Uh, it is not the easiest passage because people get a little spooky. 
they fall on two places when we start talking about things like tongues, things like demons. When we start talking about what Mark 16 is talking about, uh, deadly uh, poison, serpents, laying hands on the sick, they come almost in the dividing of those that that want to want to imagine that it that it that it's really not there it doesn't exist or we want to explain it away and those that think it should be the biggest thing in the bible and we ought to all be doing it every day and some of these get a little spooky and some of these get a, just a little bit conservative you know uh, do y'all know what i'm talking about am i the only one here that believes that or sees that i see that you know constantly even in the in in in, in the pastoral fellowships that i have you know uh, I fellowship with the Baptists, the Methodists, the Assembly of God, uh, you know, uh, the uh, United Pentecostal, uh, uh, Church of Christ, Catholics. You know, we get together in this community and we, we, we fellowship one another. And, and we kind of joke and tease about some of these things because, you know, whenever, uh, sometimes whenever the, you know, First Baptist Church pastor will say something, I'll say, oh, you know, it's easy for me to know what to pray. I just pray in tongues, you know, and they all laugh around the table. We just kind of move on, you know, and, uh, and then we, you know, we, we all kind of poke fun at one another a little bit because these things are real in the middle of, 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 of a church denominations that they are just real. Um, speaking in tongues. Casting out devils. Well, tonight, we're going to talk about speaking in tongues in light of the fact that we live in a day and an age whenever we need all of the power of God that we can muster for our lives and for the lives of those around us that we love. In Joel, the second chapter, in verse 28, and 29. Joel the prophet, he lived somewhere between 600 and 850 BC. No one knows when he lived. Those are the conjectures. They don't even know where he prophesied, but we do know that he wrote this book. Many people believe around 850 BC. He said this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my handmaidens, uh, my maidservants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. Now, Joel gave a word from God. We know, therefore, that there is going to be a specific fulfillment of that word. Then there's going to be some general applications of that word. And then there's going to be an ultimate fulfillment of that word once we get to heaven. The specific fulfillment of this word, Joel prophesying that in the last days God would pour his spirit out upon all flesh, happened in Acts chapter 2. Fifty days after Pentecost, excuse me, after Passover, 50 days after Jesus was crucified, there was the Feast of Pentecost. In Acts 2 verse 1, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were, with all, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began 
to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now notice that this specific fulfillment in Acts chapter 2, it happened to every person that was in that upper room. That's a specific fulfillment. It happened to everybody. Every person that was there in Jerusalem, all 120 who were in that upper room, each one of them was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Those tongues of fire sat upon them as a specific fulfillment, which Peter would later say, if you read on down in chapter 2, Peter said, whenever everybody said, what is this? Peter said, this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel, saying in the last days I will pour my spirit out of all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. He said, this is that. This is the specific fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel made perhaps some 800 years earlier. Well, Acts 2 was that specific fulfillment. These people who were in that upper room, these, just after Jesus had, 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 had uh, uh, ascended into heaven, he was crucified, dead, buried. On the third day he rose again. He appeared unto more than 500 after he had been resurrected over a period of 40 days. That makes 43 days. And then he ascended on a Sunday. And the next Sunday, here on the first day of the week, on a Sunday, they were there in an upper room having church, 120 of them praying in one accord. And God used that moment to specifically fulfill the prophecy of Joel and he baptized them in the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit changed their pronunciation. The, the, what they wanted to say and even things that God wanted to say through them that they were unaware of, the Holy Spirit, that's what it means, utterance, that the Holy Spirit began as they were speaking. They were the ones that speaking. God wasn't speaking. They were speaking. And the Holy Spirit changed the pronunciation of the words and made it a heavenly language made it a language that could not be naturally acquired, made it a language that was beyond the human recognition. That's exactly what it means. And here, on the day of Pentecost, this specific fulfillment, at that moment, made a promise of what will happen when we get to heaven in an ultimate fulfillment. The ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy of Joel is that when you go to heaven, you're going to speak a heavenly language. Do you think you're going to speak English? Do you think you're not going to understand Chinese? 29,000 Chinese are born every day, born again every day. 29,000 get born again. Do you think they want you? Listen, it's going to be a lonely place for the person who goes to heaven and won't speak in a heavenly language. Do you think God speaks English? I mean, I know he can, but do you think this is God's language? I mean, how are you going to understand Jesus? How are you going to understand Paul or Peter? Well, Paul or Peter, do you think they learned English since they've been in heaven? Abraham, don't you want to talk to one of the patriarchs? Don't you want to talk to, 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 I mean, to uh, I mean, don't you want to ask Noah what it was like to be on the boat with all those animals? Well, he won't know what you're saying. And you won't understand what he's saying. Unless 
There is a miracle done when we step from this life to the next concerning our speaking and our hearing. The same thing that happened right here in Acts chapter 2. Let's get real practical about this. God is not a spooky God. He's very practical. Spiritual things have a very practical reality. And when you get to heaven, you're not just going to be sitting around with people that only speak English. And I'm well aware that you've not thought about that before you heard it. I know that. I, listen, I don't, I've never heard any preacher preach this. Okay? I don't think we think about it like that. That this word of Joel, the Spirit being poured out upon us to the point to where there's a miracle happening when we want to communicate, a miracle happens and changes our language to a heavenly language, and a miracle happens in the listener that changes their hearing. That's just what happened here. I mean, you, 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 you can you know, continue reading about it here in Acts chapter 2 that the Bible says, and in fact, we'll get to it in a minute, that, that all of a sudden, people begin to hear everyone in their own language. And it freaked them out. Okay? It literally just added, oh my goodness, the best answer they come up with is everybody's drunk. You know, I'm not, I've been drunk. I was drunk for two solid years. I don't remember anything that was said. And anything I said could not have been understood, especially by people from some foreign country. That was just the best I could come up with. But be between Acts chapter 2 and the specific fulfillment of Joel's prophecy and heaven, the ultimate fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, between the specific fulfillment and the ultimate fulfillment, the eternal fulfillment, we live in a general blanket of God's word about Pentecost, about speaking in tongues, about interpretation of tongues. We live in a general blanket of the Word of God. Just as much as healing, just as much, just as much as salvation is a general word. Because you, once you get to heaven, you're going to experience the ultimate salvation. I think you've heard me say this before. When you get to heaven, you're going to be so saved. I mean, you're saved now, okay? But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, we shall be changed to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When you get to heaven, you'll be so healed, so filled with joy. So, I mean, that ultimate thing is wonderful. And, that, and, and every time I read in the Word of God where someone got a specific Word of God uh, accomplished in their life, every time in my life when something specific happens, when I pray for God to heal me or I pray for joy or I pray for relationships to be mended or I pray for forgiveness or anything that I pray for that, 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 that I'm in this general dispensation of God's Word and it happens to me or it happens for my family or, 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 or it happens for my friends or my nation, I count it as a God intervention, as a miracle, as a sign and a wonder every time God intervenes with us and touches us and leaves me different than I was. I may never be the person that God was specifically pointing at. I will enjoy the eternal fulfillment 
But living in this general, let me tell you, I, I am saved, praise God. And water baptism buried me with his likeness and it raised me to walk in the newness of life. And it stopped the haunting voices of that enemy. And every time I partake of communion, I am partaking of the body and the blood of Christ in this general sense where we are. But one day I shall eat it and drink it with Christ at the table in heaven for an ultimate fulfilling of a communion and a marriage supper that I'm telling you is going to be a whole lot different than what I experience in this moment. So, what I'm attempting to do is to stir you up for the general fulfillment of the Word of God, for the, for the miracle giftings and blessings of God in this life, that we would look at the Word of God and, and reach out for the Word of God and pray, that we would pray, uh, you know, God forgives us of our sins. But one day we will have no more need of forgiveness. Between Pentecost and heaven, we are in this fulfillment period where not everyone that gets saved experiences joy. Not everyone that gets saved in this life experiences healing. Not everyone that gets saved in this life experiences speaking in tongues. Not everyone who gets, uh, who, who gets uh, uh, saved in this general moment experiences everything that the Bible says. That's just a reality. But everyone can reach out, press in, ask God, seek God. For everything from salvation to casting out demons to being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is for today. It is for believers. All of the miracle giftings and manifestations of the Holy Spirit are available to every believer. But they are not automatic. We are encouraged in the scriptures to pray for these blessings and even earnestly desire them. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29, the apostle Paul said, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. He says, You should desire. This is a part of getting anything from God. Desire. I desire to be saved. I desire to be forgiven. I desire to be healed. I desire to be filled. I desire peace. I desire joy. I desire my relationships to be mended. I desire that there would be peace in my nation and joy in my heart and peace in my home. A desire. The Bible even talks about uh, wanting to be in leadership in the church. That if a man desires that, it's a good thing. And he tells us here that we should desire the best gifts. We need to desire. We need to want to be gifted by God. We should want to be, to be a, 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 a person that God could use more. But not everyone, he said, is going to have the gift of healing. Not everyone, he says, is going to speak with tongues. Not everyone is going to interpret. Just because you're born again doesn't mean that that's going to happen to you. But it does mean 
And it should mean that we desire more of God in our life. 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul said in verse 5, I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Wow, that's interesting. The Apostle Paul said, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Not only should we desire to be gifted more by God, but the Apostle Paul is saying that that was his hope as well. I joined with him. I wish you all spoke in tongues. You know, someone said to me, uh, 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 preacher, you know, you mean you speak in tongues? I said, you mean you don't? Verse, I'm sorry, verse 14 of, of 1 Corinthians 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Boy, is that true? Speak in tongues and I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, that's called faith. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15. What is the conclusion then? The apostle Paul said, well, he said, well, I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will uh, sing in the spirit and I will sing with the understanding. Verse 18. The apostle Paul said, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Boy, is that the truth? The Apostle Paul was trying to correct some bad theology, some spooky theology. Go around speaking in tongues to other people. It won't do that. That, that, that does nobody any good. <laughs> but listen, not only was there a miracle. I'm, I'm, I'll start closing now. Not only was there a miracle on the day of Pentecost of speaking, but there was a miracle of hearing. Ultimately, both will happen. Ultimately in heaven. There will have to be a miracle of our heavenly language and a miracle of our heavenly hearing. Okay? There just has to be. Because, uh, you know, I don't understand what people are praying when they pray in tongues in front of me. I don't understand what I'm saying when I pray in tongues. How am I going to understand when I get to heaven? If people are speaking a heavenly language doesn't necessarily mean you understand it. Acts chapter 2 gives us insight into the ultimate fulfillment because we can see the initial specific fulfillment. So now we can see the ultimate fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about here, that in my name they shall speak with new tongues. Uh, in Acts 2 verse 5, this was, uh, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. That confused him. Wait, I understand what you're saying. That confuses me. Now, if I started speaking in tongues and somebody said, excuse me, but I don't understand what you're talking about. I understand what you're, that would confuse you. It'd confuse me. If you started speaking in tongues and I was understanding you in, in, in my own language, that would confuse the heck out of me. It confused them. It confused everybody. Can you imagine your first 10 minutes in heaven? You're going to be confused. Wait. I can understand. And I can talk to everybody. You know, and I know those people over there probably didn't speak English on earth, and I'm probably not speaking English now. Oh, my goodness, that's freaky. 
I don't know how it happened. I do know this happened. I do know that God did this at Pentecost, and he will do that in heaven, and he says it's an ex- it, it, it's experience that we can experience and that we should also uh, 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 embrace as a reality. And it won't happen to everyone. It's not, uh, but, but it is something. You know, healing won't happen to everybody, but it is something that you can reach out to. And there are some, uh, some, some uh, two things the Bible tells us to do in order to receive anything from God. So basically, they were shocked, okay? They, they were amazed. They were confused because they heard them in their own language. Verse 7, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? You see, that should be a clear picture of heaven, Okay? The miracles that happen by the Holy Spirit on speaking and hearing. Specific initial fulfillment, eternal ultimate fulfillment, and here in our general reaching out to God, this this is important. It's always been important. Without regard as to how God chose to do it, God did it. And many other instances in the Word of God where He did it. In Acts, the 19th chapter, the Apostle Paul encountered 12 men. They were in Ephesus. In fact, Acts 19, about uh, uh, verse 1, uh, says in Paul, you know, uh, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed the upper coast, he came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, you know, uh, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said unto him, we didn't even know whether there was any Holy Ghost. He said, and what then were you baptized? They said, we were baptized in the baptism of John. He said, well, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying there's one coming after me, mightier than I am, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie. Uh, and you, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And when they heard that, now listen to what he asked him. This is what he said. He said, listen, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He assumed that they were believers in Jesus Christ, and he still asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you were born again? What? That's that. I'm. This is his writing, not mine. And so, you know what they did when they heard that there was a, you know, that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know what they did? All of every one of them said, "Yea, Amen," and they were all baptized in water in the name of Jesus. And then, guess what? Well, this might, you know, might not sit with the doctrine, but uh, they were all baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, subsequent, subsequent to being saved and baptized in water, the Holy Ghost came on them. And they began speaking tongues and prophesied. Mm, there were about 12 of them, uh, verse 7 says. I don't know. A similar thing happened in Acts 8. I've got three minutes. A similar things happened in Acts 8, Okay. In Acts 8, verse 14, now, the largest revival that ever happened happened in Samaria, just about 50 miles north, 50 miles, maybe, maybe, maybe 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Okay? It's in the town where Abraham built the first altar to God. Right up on a little hill from there, uh, uh, some of you uh, uh, have, have seen it with me, the town of Samaria. 
Philip, who was a deacon in the church in Jerusalem, went up to Samaria. He preached Christ unto them, and they all with one accord gave heed to the things which Philip both you know, you know, spoke to them about Jesus. And they all got saved. However, verse 14 in Acts 8 says this, when Peter and John heard what had happened, what, what had happened in Samaria, you know, they were still in Jerusalem. How that those people in Samaria had received the word of God? Well, Peter and John went there, verse 15 says, who when they had come down prayed for the people in Samaria that they might receive the Holy Spirit for as yet he had fallen on none of them, only they had been baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid their hands on them and those people received the Holy Spirit. Listen, uh, I don't want to get all doctrinal on us uh, here, but the conclusion that we can draw from the whole counsel of God's word is very simple. Joel said something was going to happen. It happened. And since it happened, the gates have been opened. And it is a whosoever will, lest at any time, opportunity for you to ask God to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is different than salvation. You can be saved and not be healed. You can be saved and not be filled. You can be saved and not be thrilled. I'm not talking about spooky. I'm talking about power to be a witness. That's what Acts 1 verse 8 says. What do you get when you get the Holy Spirit? You get the power to be a witness. He was talking to people who were saved. Well, two conditions I found in the Word of God. If you would like to ask God, two conditions. Acts 5.32 says that God will give the Holy Spirit to them that obey Him. What does that mean? That means if you're willing to dedicate your life unto God, then you're a candidate to have a baptism of what Jesus was talking about, of what happened at Pentecost and what will happen to every believer once they get to heaven. Every one of you born again, you're going to heaven and you're going to speak in tongues. Going to happen. Going to happen. Going to happen, going to happen, going to happen. Going to happen going to happen. Okay. You're going to be healed. Going to happen. Going to happen. You're going to be filled with joy. Going to happen. You're going to have more peace than you can. Going to happen. Going to speak in tongues. You're going to understand other people who are speaking in tongues. Going to happen. That means that you will be able to interpret what they are saying. Going to happen. Oh, my goodness. That's interesting, huh? Well, if you'll dedicate your life to him, that's what he says, Acts 5, 32. How much more shall God give the Holy Spirit to them who obey him? And Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, God gives the Holy Spirit to them who ask him. Okay? All that God says is that if you would like something from me, you pray. That's what happened to me. I was a young preacher on my way to the cemetery. I mean, seminary. And uh, <laughs> I was just a young Baptist preacher in love with Jesus and reading the Word of God. And I'd prayed a dangerous prayer, and I didn't even know it was dangerous. I said, Lord, I've been reading in your Word. If this is you, 
then do that to me. Now, if it's not you, Lord, you keep it a million miles away from me. But if it's you, Lord, fill me with your... What? Oh, my goodness. I was the most freaked out person in the world because it didn't fit my doctrine. But I found it to be a very powerful source in my life. Amen. Yes, I have. I'll tell you, it's... <laughs> it didn't make me very popular in that little town, but it sure did. But it sure did change my life. And Acts 1.8 says what you receive when you ask God to fill you is a power to be a witness. The power that came to me set me free. Let me just encourage you. Dedicate your life to God and just pray that dangerous prayer. Just ask him, Lord, if that's for me, do it, Lord. If it's not, Lord, keep it a million miles from me and watch and see what God does.